Hello and welcome to the second episode of the EdTech Tangent. I'm Dan, your host, and this week I've had the pleasure of talking to several students about their experiences with feedback cultures, both in a general sense and also peculiar to higher educational settings. I was joined by Rowan Pop, graduate philosophy student and freelance translator, and Christopher Sling, social media student and breakdance instructor. My aim this past fortnight has been exploring the credos of and the contrast between different forms of feedback and how they're situated in wider society. Educators and instructional designers around the world are currently challenged with delivering high quality lessons in a new and unexpected format, which has shaken up any traditional classroom dynamics, face-to-face interactions and sense of learning community. There are definitely powerful ways to teach and to learn in this format. But without question, we need to pay attention to the different needs of students and teachers to make the best of this changed situation. Today on the podcast, we'll be exploring the former, the experiences and insights of two students, both living, working and studying in the Netherlands. Rowan is Dutch and grew up in the more rural southern half of the country before moving north to study and to work. And Chris is Caribbean, growing up in Curaçao and moving to the Netherlands at the end of his teens. I asked them both how they'd encountered feedback in school growing up, in general society, and in higher education in the Netherlands. First off, I asked Rowan about how he saw the role of feedback in development in general, and the following discussion took off from there. I see it as facilitating, because generally what happens if if you just uh, say, well, have at it, you know, there will always be a couple of of, students that that will be um, forthcoming with that feedback and also critical or not. But if you don't, if you don't set some parameters for how much feedback there should be and what it should look like, I think it's it's going to be uh, less effective. Because well, what you see in, in uh, and that's also what you, well, for example, what I learned in, in, in professional life, much more than academic life, I learned how to give good feedback. And that's because generally when you're going to work at, at a um, profit-making company, right? For example, when I worked at the bank, it was expected that you could give proper feedback in a concise and uh, effective manner, right? And so what sort of feedback would this be? So there's the, the, the hamburger model, for example, right? So it taught us um, it is sort of in a model of a hamburger, nice saying mean thing, nice thing. Kind of, yeah. You have you have you, you start you have, you have bun at the top and bun at the bottom, and in the middle you got the meat, basically, right? And the meat is the actual content of what you want to say. Now you're always going to have to frame this in a positive and constructive manner, right? But you package it into something that that was good, so so that someone doesn't feel attacked, but that um, yeah you can you can say something. Uh, is this something that you picked up in the professional world? In yeah, this is something that, that I learned in my soft skills course in Calco, or at Calco. Mm-hmm. And then they were very adamant about that. Like, yeah, make sure that you, yeah, for one, are constructive, so that you actually give someone something to work with, mm-hmm. but make sure that you that you frame it right. And, and that's something that I think that is um, slightly less important in academic settings, because they're um, first and foremost expected to be critical and in, in work settings uh, critical is great but result results are, are the thing you're after and yeah everyone just works a little better if everyone is very nice to each other right because then there's a, there's a happy culture there's a, a positive culture and you feel like you can say things to each other and it just takes everyone being a little mindful of what they say and how they say it I guess you could say if there's no feedback 
um, there's there's no purpose. There's no no reason to do anything because no one will ever give you recognition for it. So then, so then everything would have to be intrinsically motivated. Yeah. But I think that you know, like it's a bit of an extreme and a hypothetical yeah, experiment. But, but you get what I mean. Yeah, I, I I think that 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 uh, the 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 accompanying recognition that feedback brings is is tremendously important. Can you make a comparison though between the sort of feedback, how you encountered the idea of feedback in uh, middle bar school, in in like middle school in Thornosa, compared to university settings, um, education. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I think actually I can I can draw a parallel between um, Utrecht and Terneuzen versus Middelburg and there there actually because um, yeah because um, in, in Terneuzen obviously a little town uh, on the outskirts of the Netherlands. Even though there was some ethnic and cultural um, diversity, yeah, obviously there's not that much, and. Funnily enough, my master's program in Utrecht also had very little diversity. There was uh, it was an English program, but I think there was one English-speaking per person. The rest is all Dutch. Slightly different backgrounds here and there, but still, at the end of the day, you're in a pretty much completely Dutch class. Same as, as high school in that sense. As well as Middelburg, I think the uh, amount of foreign students was thirty uh, percent, like one third or something. Yeah, 60, 40, 70, 30, something like that. Right. Yeah. So, so then you do get a lot more diversity, and I, I, I found that, for example, uh, what struck me as as interesting, first year in university, was that I met a lot of Eastern European people, uh, and I hadn't really before, uh, and I really noticed that there was a, a a big difference in their way of of thinking about things and and approaching, for example, some philosophical problems, and yeah, in their feedback, they they come from different points. I made made you know like the color that that got in my mind was maybe a bit uh, biased or prejudiced because you know the the eastern european you see sort of this gray blocky soviet union type image or something but yeah i found like that their feedback often had a, a much more cynical undertone and like i'm not sure if that if that was my projection or it was like actually actual manifestation of the region or something i don't so know cynical what does that mean here critical or negative? Yeah, uh, well, cynical is, is um, like... Disbelieving. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But disbelieving in, non, in a not necessarily critical sense. To me, like, cynicism has something dark as well, in, in a way, because I, I, feel, I feel that, that um, cynicism is indeed disbelieving in, in a, in a, um, uh, with, with a negative connotation, in, in my mind. Let's put it like this: Being cynical is not a a positive state of mind. Mm. Um, it's not intrinsically constructive, or something. Exactly. While while being critical is neutral on that part. Um, but yeah, sorry to get back to your question at hand, uh, uh, the the one you posed. Like I have noticed that that um, just to bottom line, I guess, uh, diversity is quite important important if you want effective feedback. I guess. Mm. Because, yeah, because there's just more perspectives, and you, it's not like if if uh, if you, if for example, if you have a company, and you're you're gonna go to your teams, and uh, uh, you're gonna say you're gonna put them all together in a room, you're gonna say, look, we got problem A, how can I solve it? And if team team one goes, yeah, B, and then team two goes C, and team three goes, yeah, B again, and team four goes C again, and at the end of the day, you got option B and option C, but if you have a, a bigger diversity, you get B, C, D, E, F. Skipping ahead in our conversation a little bit, 
I later asked Rowan about Dutch directness, a stereotype of Dutch culture that people aren't afraid to tell you what they think, whether it's your friends or family, or a total stranger on the train or in the street. Here's how he responded. Yeah, like my, my, um, yeah, my personal opinion about Dutch directness, I, I, I like it. Like, I think, I think there's no, there's nothing to gain from keeping things to yourself. No, I mean, that's not entirely true, not always, of course, but like what I'm trying to say is there's, there's nothing to gain by creating taboos and by uh, making it weird for people to, to, to say things and making communication uh, harder for no good reason. Putting it through layers and filters. Yeah, exactly. Like you're going to sugarcoat things and you're, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's this, it's this thing about individual knowledge and shared knowledge, right? Like, uh, isn't it the Emperor's Clothes story where, where, you know, everyone knows that he's walking around naked, but only when the little boy goes, but he's not wearing any clothes. Mm. Suddenly, you know, the jig is up, even though nothing really changed. Everyone knew the exact same thing they knew before, but now because everyone knows that everyone knows, it's a different thing. And I think that's that's a bit of this the same with, with directness and, and yeah. um, brutal honesty, so to say. Uh, some cultures will experience it differently because the idea of respect and honor and face, keeping face is more important. Absolutely. Like Britain, we have uh, manners and politeness are very important. Uh, you, not just your please and thank you, but how you respond to, how you introduce, how you end conversations and how you frame these kind of comments. But I wanted to say one more thing oh, while sorry. you said um, about uh, the, yeah, the emperor's new clothes, nothing to be ashamed of. I really see this with the um, Dutch architectural style of having very big windows at the front of your house, staring out onto the street. Mm. And very few people, in a lot of areas I've seen anyway, uh, close their blinds or their curtains, and you can walk along the street and see into everyone's house because they have nothing to be afraid of. They're not ashamed. This is us, and you are you. And why should we hide things about it? Why not be direct mm, yeah. about who we are? That's funny, Elena has, has told me that a bunch of times as well, that she thinks that's weird, but I just, yeah, I don't know. That's just something that you grew up with. Yeah. Big windows, um, no shame. But I think, no, um, shame. no shame, sure. No, but I, I think I think it's, a di again, the difference between individual and, and uh, communal or collective knowledge, right? Uh, and I think it is important, you know, feedback uh, at ties into that of course because that's how you go from individual to, to communal knowledge and I think that it's a very important thing the argument also goes for example that this is how dictatorships and, and, and tyrannies are maintained right uh, because if, if uh, I don't know that you don't like the emperor and you don't know that I don't like the emperor we're both going to tell each other how awesome yeah. he is you know true, uh, true. and everyone within their own little walls behind their curtains uh, burns his burns his portrait uh, but on the street everyone praises him and at the end of the day you have a, a society that's that's completely crippled in its ability to to do something about their situation i know this is a very extreme example but well, i think i really see that now with how you just put it about in a tyranny in a dictatorship people can agree about something but if there's no communication and no feedback with each other they don't know Whereas in a democracy, we vote, we give feedback. Mm. Do you like this person? Do you like this party? Do you like this law? Yeah. Well, of course the options are limited and I might not have entire freedom to uh, voice my opinion, to cast my vote, but at least it's more towards being able to express that opinion. So Rowan's hamburger model, 
We talked about Dutch openness, directness, etc. But in a learning situation, structured feedback seems a really good idea. We were having a discussion afterwards where Rowan was telling me about his new class in philosophy of language. He went into detail about the content and despite being interested in both philosophy and language, quite a lot of what he was saying went over my head. I think it was when I heard a phrase like the hermeneutics of metaphysics, where I had to say, hold up just a minute. I proceeded to voice my concerns and went straight in saying something along the lines of, I've got no idea what you're talking about now. I think if you want to inform anyone about this stuff, you have to ask more questions and break it down. But it does sound interesting though. Now, we weren't in a lesson, we weren't at work, but regardless, I felt in the body language, the temperature drop in the room, that even though he responded positively and engaged with my comments, he might have felt a bit, well, not hurt, but maybe taken aback. Uh, if some of the cognitive load is going on deciphering the emotional reaction due to the feeling of being criticised, rather than being able to focus on the content of the feedback itself, I really think it makes for a less effective process. In other words, I think effective communication is well packaged, in a way the recipient of a message can digest easily, and not something that needs filtering through layers of what did that person mean by that? How did they mean it? After all, we can all be sensitive creatures, and it's often easier to see the negative than the positive. So with this in mind, in the future, if I'm trying to give advice to someone, I'm going to try to make sure to wrap it between some complimentary comments. A few days after that conversation, I called up Chris on Zoom to ask him about his experiences with feedback in school and wider culture growing up, and any similarities or differences with how it was here in higher education in the Netherlands. I think you've had a couple of different um, experiences and lived in a couple of different feedback cultures, which is yeah. why I'm uh, interested in your opinion on your views on well, this kind of thing. Let me say it like this. Indeed, like also back home, something we always hear about Dutch people is that they're very direct. And um, that's very much true. Um, what Rowan said, like that if you think something, you should say it. It's very much the case. But back home, we kind of consider these things to be disrespectful as a, as a norm. And I, I've experienced the more hmm, traditional cultures, let's say like this, like African cultures, Asian cultures, these kinds of cultures. I feel they oftentimes consider this, this type of backtalk or this type of openness of opinion um, to be, hmm, it has to have its place, let's say like this. You asked, what is the place of this, um, like more respectful, you said traditional ways of communicating and feedback? Because mm -hmm. um, the Dutch place value on directness and openness and honesty with mm -hmm. uh, how you feel about other people. I think in, in, to contrast that, it's now about respect, honor, uh, face. And I think where you, you said, what, what's the place of that? Where, in which, which spaces? I thought, well, when you're in a superior position and you're higher up in the, uh, in the hierarchy chain, like if you're a teacher talking to students, you can give feedback. You can say, criticize, you can make suggestions, but you Remind. can't do it upwards. You, you can only do it downwards. Mm -hmm. So I wondered, is part of the, the reason this is here, is it to maintain 
social hierarchy? Is it to illustrate that there is a top-down projection of power and that you shouldn't speak back to your elders, but you can and you're encouraged to speak down to those below you? Do you see where well, I'm coming from there? I and understand. I see it exactly. Well, honestly, I'm not one to be in favor of hierarchies, but I must admit I that, yeah, it's not something I naturally gravitate to, but I must admit that we do live in hierarchies. We do live in systems, within systems. And um, if we can recognize that you, there's always like a system that's um, yeah within or smaller than you, and there's always a system that's larger than you. And I think if you can respect, yeah, if you can acknowledge this, it's good. And I feel, yeah, this is where I have to return to the Dutch culture. Um, this is why oftentimes on my island, at least, we consider Dutch culture or the way they express themselves to be rude, because not only in the way that they um, communicate um, their thoughts, but also in terms of um, you might be having a conversation and Dutch people have a tendency to jump into your conversation because it's a conversation that's being had openly. But to, to my culture, it's like, a, wait, what? Mm -hmm. Although it's like you can hear the conversation, you're kind of supposed to like ignore it. It's like there's some some unspoken rules that like, I don't know. And here certain things, I get it. It's like a conversation starter. People want to talk to each other, but I'm also like, uh, ain't nobody talking to you. It reminds me of like um, corporate uh, systems. I'm trying to remember a specific company right now, but if I'm not mistaken, Apple, for example, um, is one of these companies that the communication um, or Tesla might be a better example um, where within the company um, people um, normally there's a hierarchy and you would only speak to your higher up you wouldn't speak to the to the CEO of the company right but just one level at a time yeah exactly um, so the hierarchy form is very tall whereas flat systems flat um, corporate communication systems um, the hierarchy is yeah, indeed flat. And here, technically, let's say like this, someone could literally app Elon Musk, let's say like this, and ask him for a question. And in that sense, get a response, a, a feedback directly from him. I feel like maybe that's what the Dutch are trying to do, that regardless of who you are, you can have a valuable feedback or contribution, whereas maybe more traditional systems. Um, I, I'm referring specifically to my hometown, let's say like this, um, or more based on like maybe comparably to like the, the corporations, you know, hierarchy system that you, there's one person to report to every single yeah. time, um, which makes the line of communication, I guess, easier, simpler, but it makes incorporation, it makes, hmm, I don't know, the value of people were less though. Like if you're a child, you do have to listen to parents. Whereas in, in Netherlands, I feel if you're a kid and you're making sense, you can override an uh, adult's opinion. And that's not really possible, but yeah, my grandma told me differently, but that's in general, not really our culture. It's that's not quite Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So now I'm starting to wonder how your, your traditional upbringing and encounter with this feedback culture as a, mm -hmm. I wouldn't use the word seclusive because it has negative connotations, but a more um, kept inside of a circle kind mm -hmm. of culture, how that then transplanted into the Dutch school system where you found yourself needing to do group projects, um, communicate with your teammates and tell them what they're doing well and uh, 
whether you did or didn't, I don't know. But suddenly you need to give feedback and you need to be responsible. And now we're talking about within your circle, within your group. But there's also this thing of like the course evaluation carousel. I don't know if you ever did anything like that. But after you finish the course, you give, you fill in a form and give anonymous feedback to your teacher about how yeah. they performed. I mean, that's a thing now. I wonder yeah. what the encounter is like for you. Hmm. Well, I have to be very honest. Um, the last one, the course evaluation one, if I'm not obligated to do it, I often skip it. Um, and that's me. Maybe it has to do with culture. Maybe it doesn't. But um, sometimes there's an, an initiative to do it. Like you have to do it in order to complete the whole course. And in a scenario like that, I do it. And I do my utmost to really get good feedback. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's not my desire to give feedback on that level is not really there for some reason maybe it does have to do with my my way of seeing uh feedback is like is it my place is it um, at all that you don't see um you don't not that you're not convinced but that you don't see what benefit it has you're not sure what the outcome of giving feedback is like how the teacher is going to respond to it whether they care at all about your mark does that come into it for you Oh, no, no, no. I, it's none of that because I see the value. I understand it, but it's more, to me, I just see it as effort rather than, yeah. or maybe, maybe let's say like this, I don't see the added value for me. Okay. Maybe there's added value for another generation. Maybe there's added value there, but because there's no added value for me in the moment, um, I can easily pass that opportunity up to, to give feedback. Well, last semester, well, my course right now is in English. And because of that, I encounter a lot of internationals. So it's not necessarily a Dutch culture, let's say, like this in class. Um, it's an international but, culture. Yeah, yeah. But last semester, I had a course that was uh, a Dutch bachelor. Um, I did it for my minor. And I had to interact with some Dutch people. Luckily, I can speak Dutch. But I immediately realized the, uh, yeah, the communication setting. The, yeah, the whole vibe was different. And was this online or offline? This was online because courses were all online at the time. So via WhatsApp, um, a lot of the communication was kept or held or via Zoom. I realized for me, it was super annoying, to be very honest, uh, because I feel like they had to communicate about every single small detail they discussed, they discussed, they discussed to make sure that every And I, I get it, but like some things, some things can be an email. They don't need to be a Zoom meeting. Some things can... I feel like they're taking too much time with the whole talk it out rather than implementing what needs to be implemented. Oftentimes I feel that they feel like talking is, is half of the work, whereas the work is the work. I'd really like to thank both Chris and Rowan for their time and insights here. I certainly learned something new about just how different the encounter with feedback can be. So a little note on social media and learning. We're definitely going to explore this in depth in a future episode, but a quick note here while it's still fresh in my head. I was talking with a friend about viral social media videos, the sort rampant on apps like Instagram and TikTok. She said something which definitely triggered me. You can learn more in seven seconds than from a whole hour long lecture in class. After recoiling in horror on behalf of those hardworking classroom teachers everywhere whose livelihoods were just swept away, I started to realize there's enough examples where this is entirely possible. From practical skills like gardening, cooking, arts and crafts, to the more theoretical subjects in the humanities. 
more and more examples began to pop into my head, convincing me that maybe, considering the technological advances the last generation has grown up with, the long-form classroom lecture isn't actually as effective as it used to be once upon a time. The transformation of educational infrastructures to accommodate these new learning styles is another conversation entirely, but the coronavirus has certainly played a huge role in fast-tracking that process and how we can best make use of technology in both formal and informal learning environments is also a question which will receive a very thorough treatment in the coming months on this podcast. One more quick note about a personal experience concerning social media and learning. I just finished my last class for my science communication and education degree program, and it was a masterpiece. The teacher admitted at the start of the course that he'd had a hiatus from teaching, and this represented his return and so he welcomed feedback about the lessons in the course outline. This was already off to a good start in my books. Looking at the course manual, two things stuck out. One was the type of weekly reading assignment. We were to read several texts, and instead of writing a summary or having to hand in responses to questions, we were asked to make memes about the text. Never mind the logistics of distilling a 50-page manuscript into one catchy joke juxtaposed over a funny image, I was taken aback because I'd never seen this sort of assignment before. It required us to scour social media, news, meme sites, image galleries, and create something original in a rather unexpected format. And then every week we would sit down and discuss these memes together. Strange but effective. The second thing was that each week's readings had a dedicated page in the course manual, and most of that page was filled up with a big box which situated those readings alongside film suggestions. From obscure foreign language anthropology excursions to the classic Jurassic Park, the professor had provided for us each week a fun activity to do, not assessed or graded, but potentially beneficial to our wider understanding of the subject matter. Why were these two things so important? Well, they were both grounded in popular culture, requiring that we interacted not just with the texts, but with the world of film, of graphics, news, greater society. These things both really helped me feel more connected to my fellow students, or as we sometimes put it, helped to build a learning community. On top of this, we had our weekly lectures and discussions in the now standard MS Teams video chat. During lulls in conversation, people would post memes about the lecture content in the chat. We would laugh at these together, including the teacher, and that was an incredible feeling of connection, despite the distance. And personally, I have to say, being in an online university lecture and posting a meme in the chat box only to have the teacher leave a heart emoji as a response is a very encouraging feeling and does wonders for one's self-esteem. There are no blanket solutions in pedagogy, but I was seriously impressed with this course design and the attitude of the teacher towards the student community. I got the sense that he cared, not just about the lessons, but about us students, our well-being, as well as our learning trajectories. But that's enough of a tangent and a teaser for now, so I'll implore you to tune in next time where the digging will go even deeper. We'll continue the discussion on feedback cultures, in particular looking at the experiences of Southeast Asia. Thanks for joining us this episode of the EdTech Tangent, which was made possible by Feedback Fruits. And remember, you can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Please don't hesitate to get in touch with any comments, questions, or queries you might have. And feel free to email me at podcast at feedbackfruits.com. And as I'm sure you know by now, I would love to hear your feedback. Till next time.